Hello, welcome to TanakhStudy.com. This is Shani Tarragon, and today we're going to continue with the last of the voluntary sacrifices mentioned at the beginning of Sefer Vayikra. Following the Ola and Mencha, today we're going to learn about the Shlamim. We've already noted how the discussion of all three sacrifices seems to flow from the opening Pasuk, Adam ki akriv meken korban lahashem. When any of you presents an offering to Hashem, noting that while the individual decides whether to offer a sacrifice, the Torah will then continue by setting forth the details of how each offering is going to be prepared with the terminology of the im im ola karbano min habakar, followed by im min hatzon karbano or min haof. Apparently, just as the individual makes the very decision to offer the sacrifice in order to express his relationship to Hashem, so does he choose the specific korban that most accurately captures his precise feelings. The Torah neither demands that one brings these sacrifices, nor does it express a preference for one over the other. It merely details the procedure for bringing each one. Our job is to identify the unique character of each korban and thereby determine the relationship obtained through each of these offerings. As we continue, therefore, with the Karban Shlamim, we note that the very first pasuk of Perakimel, the Imzevach Shlamim Karbano, seems to be a clear literary parallel, bringing us back to the Karban Ola, just like we found this term of Im Ola Karbano, we now continue Im Zevach Shlamim Karbano if his offering is a peace offering, indicating a clear relationship between these two karbanot. Additionally, we learned yesterday how the mincha seems to stand out as a separate independent category. It's not related to the general introduction of the sefer. Ava adam ki akriv miken korban lahashem min ha min bakar min hatzon. For in fact, there isn't any animal that's brought as part of the mincha. And seemingly then, the Chumash presents two categories, the animal sacrifices of the Ola and the Shlamim, and the grain sacrifices, the Mencha. We discussed yesterday how these two categories relate one to the other, and why particularly the Mencha is going to precede the Shlamim, or all the more so be juxtaposed to the Ola for the various similarities between the Ola and the Mencha. In order, though, to properly understand why the Torah inserts a discussion of the mincha between the two animal sacrifices, first we're going to go back to examine the relationship between the ola and the shlamim, the burnt offering and the peace offering. The first indication of a fundamental difference between the two lies in their names. One is an ola. The name ola literally ascends, most probably relates to the fact that we consider the sacrifice to rise to Hashem because it's completely burnt on the Mizbeach. By contrast, the appearance of the word Zebach in the context of Shlamim suggests that this sacrifice should be seen as a sacred feast of source, since the individual consumes part of the sacrifice himself. Although the primary connotation of the term Zebach is slaughtering, as we find also in Arabic, the Tanakh generally denotes it as some type of sacred feast. So wherein the central quality of the Ola relates to the individual's offering to Hashem, the key element of the Shlamim involves the individual's consumption of the sacrificial meat. We're now going to begin with our reading of chapter 3, where the Torah discusses the Shlamim for the first time and makes no mention whatsoever of the individual's mitzvah to partake of this meat, 
probably because the term zevach shlamim connotes the individual's participation in the sacrifice's consumption. All the Torah needs to do, really, is outline the sacrificial procedure. And once these guidelines are followed, it's understood that the individual is invited to partake of whatever is left from the Mizbeach. Let us begin, then, with the reading of the Psukim of Ayikra Peregimel. Ve'im zevach shlamim karbano, im min habakar humakriv, im zachar, im nekeva, tamim yakrivenu lefnei Hashem. These psukim very much reminds us of the possibilities of what one may offer as an ola. But this time, as mentioned, his offering is a sacrifice known as a zevach shlamim. What is this term of shlamim? There, in fact, is a difference of opinion between the Rishonim regarding the name of this term shlamim. Rashi, in Paragimel Pasuk Aleph, tells us shematilim shalom ba'olam, that they spread peace in the world. Or, davarachir, shlamim sheyesh behem shalom lamazbeach v'lakohanim v'lebaalim, that they bring, bring peace to the altar and to the priests and to the owners. In other words, everyone enjoys from the eating of the sacrifice. The Midrashic source for Rashi's two explanations are based on the word shlamim, etymologically from shalom or peace. A third possibility, though, for understanding shlamim appears in the Rashbam. Who explains Mehar Sheno Lashon Ola Mashma Lashon Nadar Vitsarich Lishalem et Nidarab Shuhu Lashon Tashlumim? Or in other words, the term Shlamim derives its meaning from the term Lishalem. He vowed something and needs to pay for his vow. In other words, from the language of payment. According to the Rashbam, Shlamim are tied to the payment of a vow that a person has taken upon himself. So based on these two interpretations, the shlamim has nothing to do with the absolution of sin, whether it's related to a type of peace that's found in this world, perhaps because God is not angry at the one who brings the sacrifice, or whether it's talking about a sacrifice whose essence depends on a voluntary vow, it does not refer to a sin that has contaminated the person bringing the sacrifice. And indeed, when we examine the places where the psukim discuss the shlamim, we're going to see that it does not serve as an absolution, but rather as an expression of happiness and spiritual emotion. So let's continue with the psukim. Pasuk bet, v'samach yado al rosh karbano, u'shchato petach ol mo'ed, v'zarku b'nei aron ha-kohanim et adam ala mezbeach saviv. And the person who brings the korban places his hand upon the head of his offering, kills it at the entrance of the Ohel Mo'ed of the Mishkan, and our own sons, the priests, are going to sprinkle the blood against the Mizbeach. And he presents the sacrifice of these peace offerings by placing them on the fire, including the chalev, the fat that covers the innards, and all the rest of the chalev, asher al hakeriv. Interestingly, we find the Chazal distinguish between chalev that may not be eaten and a certain chalev or fat that they would call shuman, which may be eaten. In the case here of the verse, we find that both of these types of fats are going to be placed on the mizbeach. And the kidneys and the fat that's on the kidneys and uh, the innards 
everything is going to be taken away and placed on the altar as well. And Aaron's son shall make it into smoke upon the Mizbeach, upon the burnt offering, which is upon the wood, on the fire. And the sacrifice goes up through the fire, forming a sweet savor to Hashem. Next option presented in Pasuk Vav. If his offering for a sacrifice of the shlamim be not of cattle, as mentioned earlier, but this time a flock, male or female, he shall offer it without any blemish. If he decides under the category of its own to bring a lamb for his offering, then this is what he brings to Hashem. And once again, the act of smicha, he places his hand upon the head of his offering, kills it, and Aaron's sons take some of the blood and sprinkle it against the Mizbeach. And if he brought, in fact, a kesev, the lamb, then it has an aliyat mima, the fat of the tail, which he takes away, and then after removing it, places it upon the mizbeach as well. We find that this generally, the chilev of the aliyah, is allowed for consumption, but in the case of bringing the korban, must be placed on the altar. And the two kidneys and the fat that's upon them, Anna, the lobe above the liver, is going to be taken away. And the Kohena takes all of the innards, places them on the Mizbeach, and this becomes an offering to Hashem. The last possibility of the details of how he may bring a korban shlamim, vim ez korbano. He may decide to bring his shlamim from a goat under the category of flock, vim ez korbano vihikrivo lefnei Adonai. V'samachet yado arusho v'shachatoto lefnei Olmoed v'zarku b'nei Aaron et damo ala mizbeach saviv. And he shall place his hands upon it, kill it, and the sons of Aaron take the blood and sprinkle it upon the Mizbeach. And again, we hear of the fat that's brought. It's going to be removed from the animal and placed on top of the Mizbeach. All of the fat around the two kidneys and all that by the loins and the lobe above the liver. He's going to take that off of the animal. And the priest shall make them onto smoke of the Mizbeach. This is considered the food offering of the fire for the sweet savoring known as the Reach Nichoach Lahashem. And as the conclusion, we hear that this is the perpetual chok, the statute throughout all the generations, that you may not eat neither the chilev or of the dam, no fat nor blood, for they're both going to be placed on the mizbeach. Note that one of the expressions entirely omitted from the discussion of the shlamim 
is the term of kapara that we found by the Ola, a clear allusion to the difference between these two types of korbanot. It seems that although both of these sacrifices, the Ola and the Shlamim, are purely voluntary by nature, the Ola serves as a kapara, an atonement for small mishaps. By the Ola, we find the term that it may be acceptable in his behalf and atonement for him. The Ola atones not for a sin, but for the individual. The person feels some distance between himself and HaKadosh Baruch Hu, be it as a result of a sin, a general feeling of an ina- inadequacy, or perhaps religious mediocrity, or maybe even due to his sense of physicality and corporeality. He therefore decides to offer a sacrifice to Hashem, an Ola, to achieve atonement and thereby to avoid some divine retribution. The Ola expresses the individual's feeling of awe and fear and his sense of distance from Hashem. The Shlamim sacrifice, by contrast, is generally associated with joy and celebration. The individual's desire to offer a sacrifice to Hashem and then partake of the meat emanates from his feelings of closeness to Hashem, his overflowing affection for his Creator, as we've seen in the verses, the repetition of everything that's offered on the Mizbeach highlights what we'll learn later on of the individual's participation in the food of the Mizbeach. In short, the Ola signifies fear of God, and the Shlamim relates to love of God. We know that these mitzvot of Yerat Hashem and Ahavat Hashem comprise the essence of the Torah's demands of the Jew. Perhaps this is the reason that the Ola precedes the Shlamim. One must fear God before he can come to love him. By the same token, the commandment to fear God is going to appear early in the Torah, then its counterpart regarding the love of God. We can now return to our question from yesterday as to why the Torah interrupts this discussion of the animal sacrifices with the korban mincha, the meal offering. The answer is now even clearer. The mincha and the ola are associated with the attribute of fear rather than love. Similar to one who brings an ola, the individual offering the mincha receives no portion of the sacrifice for a handful of the mincha is consumed by the mizbeach and the rest is consumed by the kohanim that we already discussed serve as an extension of Hashem. Nonetheless, the means are different. The mincha appears as separate from the olan shlamim because it expresses man's recognition of Hashem's control over the sustenance of life, as opposed to animal sacrifice, which reflects Hashem's dominion over life itself. Nevertheless, the Torah deals with the mincha following the ola, interrupting the discussion of animal sacrifices, because the mincha and ola both express fear of Hashem. The Shlamim, which expresses man's love of Hashem, can appear only after both the Aula and Mencha have been discussed. What we have seen then is how the three different voluntary sacrifices express all the basic emotions felt by an individual standing before his creator. The person's trepidation before Hashem is manifest through the Aula and Mencha, whereas his love for Hashem is expressed through the Shlamim. Before we continue with tomorrow's topic of the obligatory korbanot, beginning in chapter 4, as clearly seen through the Ptichat Dibur, Vayidaber Adonai Amoshe Lemor, the very first verse of chapter 4, telling us that we're now starting a different category or a different section of korbanot, namely the chova, the obligatory ones. The Chumash itself stresses a distinction between the two sections of the first three chapters and the new Dibur of chapter 4, 
by repeating key phrases that appear in just about every closing of the Parshiotobo sections. If you look back now in the Nidava section, we see the Milamancha, or the repetitive motif of Ishe Reach Nichoach Lahashem, both in verse 9 of chapter 1 and verses 13, 17, the beginning of chapter 2, verse 2, and as we've just concluded, the Korban Shlamim noted in verses 5, 11, and 16. In the Chova section, the repetition of the Milim Manchot, the Kohen shall make expiation on his behalf, shows us that the section, in fact, has a different goal. With this background in mind, we're going to now look back, as we've just concluded, the section of the Karbanot Nidava to discuss some of the logic and the internal structure within. If uh, we look at the Nidavot, we find that if an individual wishes to offer a Karban Nidava, he first has to choose the category that reflects his personal preference. First of all, he should prefer, as we've seen in the order, to offer the entire animal to Hashem. He can choose the Ola category, but should he prefer, for either financial or ideological reasons, to offer flour instead, then he can choose the Mincha category. Finally, should he prefer not only an animal option, but would also like to later partake in eating from this korban in a barbecue fashion, then he can choose the Shlamim category. Once the individual has made the choice of either an Ola, Mincha, or Shlamim, next he picks the subcategory of his choice. For example, should one choose to offer an Ola, which is totally consumed on the Mizbeach, then he must choose between male, cattle, sheep, or fowl. The Torah then goes on to explain these three options, including the precise instructions concerning how to offer each of these animals. Should the individual choose a mincha, a flower offering instead, then he must select one of the five different options that we learned about yesterday for how to bake the flour, corresponding to the various parshiot that we've seen in chapter 2. In other words, he can present his offering as either solet, flour mixed with oil, or baked in an oven, ma'afetanor, or fried on a skillet, the machvat, or deep fried, the marcheshet, and should the flour offering be from the wheat of the early harvest, the menchapikurim, then it's first roasted and ground in a special manner. Finally, should he choose the shlamim option, a peace offering, then he must select between cattle, bakar, sheep, the kvasim, or goats, izim, corresponding to the three individual partio that we just learned about in chapter 3. I'd like to summarize as well the laws included in the Karbana Dava section that discuss certain procedural instructions. For example, before offering an Ola or Shlamim, the owner has to perform the act of smicha, resting all of his weight on the animal, symbolically transferring his identity, identity to the animal, as if he's saying that he's offering the animal instead of himself, consistent with the Ramban's appreciation of sacrifices. One could suggest that the act of smicha also reflects an understanding that the karban serves as a replacement for the owner, reflective in the karban ola that was offered by Avram Avinu when he offered a ram in place of his son, ola tachat beno, at the time of Akidat Yitzchak. Now that we've explained the logic of the internal order of each one of the sections of the nidava offerings, we must explain why the laws of a karban nidava precede those of a karban chova. Intuitively, one would have perhaps introduced the chova korbanot, the compulsory sacrifices, before the optional ones. One could suggest that Parshat Vayikra begins specifically with a karban since these karbanot in particular reflect the individual's aspiration to improve his relationship with Hashem. 
Only afterwards, as the Torah detailed the Korban Choba, which amends the relationship once it was tainted by sin. Additionally, perhaps, the Karban Dava reflects a more ideal situation, while the obligatory sin offering seeks to rectify a problematic situation. Rabbi Menachem Liebtag suggests an even more fundamental reason, based on the double theme of why the Mishkan is constructed, as discussed in the second half of Sefer Shemot. The Mishkan, as we know, serves a dual purpose, emphasized by a famous machlokif between Rashi and the Ramban with regard to when and why the Mishkan was commanded. According to the Ramban, it was commanded immediately after Mamad Harsinai to serve as a perpetuation of the experience of revelation of Harsinai. According to Rashi, the primary purpose of building the Mishkan was to atone for Chaita Egel. If we look back at the covenantal ceremony that took place at Har Sinai when Am Yisrael accepted the Torah with the words of Naseh and Ishma in chapter 24, that covenant included a public offering of Olot and Shlamim. In fact, in that ceremony, we find the very first mention in Chumash of a Korban Shlamim, suggesting some type of relationship between the Korban Shlamim and Har Sinai. We've also seen in chapter 3, how the Korban Shlamid is called a Zevach, which we discuss as describing some type of feast. And therefore, we're not surprised to also find a Zevach in a covenant or agreement between Lavan and Yaakov who conduct a, a Zevach as they enter into a covenant. Or one could suggest then that by offering a Zevach Shlamim, an individual basically demonstrates his loyalty as a partner in some covenantal relationship with Hashem. The Karban Ola also relates to Mamad Harsinai, based on the key phrase of Ishe Reach Nichoach Lahashem, used consistently in the description of the Karban Ola. This is exactly the same terminology that we found in Shmot chapter 29, Lareach Nichoach Ishe Lahashem, Ola Tamil Ledorotechem, Petach Ohel Moe. This is when the Torah first introduces the Ola Tamid and summarizes the discussion of the Mishkan. So apparently by offering either an Ola or a Shlamim, these serve as direct reminders of Ma'amad Harsinai. The individual reaffirms the covenant of Harsinai, of Nasev of our very basis of a relationship with Hashem, founded in both the Ola's significant expression of Yirah, a fear, and the Ava, the love of Hashem, expressed through the Shlamim. But maybe the point of offering these karbanot is not only to serve as a reenactment of Harsinai through the Mishkan, the ongoing revelation of Hashem, but based on Rashi, also to remind us of how we're constantly atoning for Chaita Egel. Because immediately after Am Yisrael offered Olot and Shlamim at Harsinai, they then sinned with the golden calf, and Hashem Shechina left B'nai Yisrael precluding the very possibility of offering karbanot. Now that the Mishkan is finally built and the Shekhinah has returned, as we described at the conclusion of Sefer Shemot, Hashem's first message to Bnei Yisrael and Sefer Vayikra is that they can once again offer Olot and Shlamim just as they did at Har Sinai, not only as a nation, but also as individuals. And perhaps this is why the very first topic in Sefer Vayikra is that of the voluntary offerings of the Karban, Ola, and Shlamim reminding us of the basic function of the Mishkan. Adam Each time we bring an Ola or Shlamim, we're meant to be reminded of the reenactment of Harsinai, 
pre Egel, the revelation of the Shekhinah, and through the Mishkan, the microcosm of Har Sinai, we're able to re-experience that relationship of fear and love with Hashem. At the summary then of this background, one could suggest that the popular translation of Korban as a sacrifice may in fact be slightly misleading. Sacrifice implies giving up something for nothing in return. In truth, however, the Shoresh, the root of the word Korban, is Kuf Resh Bet, Karov, to come close. Not only is the animal brought closer to the Mizbeach, but the Korban ultimately serves to bring the individual closer to God. The animal itself comprises merely the vehicle, the means through which this process is facilitated. Therefore, karbanot involve much more than dry technical rituals. They promote the primary purpose of the Mishkan, the enhancement of man's relationship with Hashem. In this sense, it becomes very clear that it is the individual who needs to offer the karban as an expression of his commitment and loyalty. It certainly is not Hashem who needs to consume them. Like a guest who brings a gift for Shabbat, it's not the host who needs the gift, but the guest who simply needs to bring something. And the reason why they are spending quality time together is for the sake of their relationship. Now we can understand why after the destruction of the Beit HaMikdash, Chazal considered Tzvilah as a substitute for Karbanot. Because like Karbanot, Tzvilah also serves as a vehicle through which man can develop and strengthen his relationship with Hashem. It's the individual who needs to pray more so than God needs to hear those prayers. So what we've seen with regard to Karbanot is certainly very relevant today. An individual tefillah should embody both aspects of the Karban Yachid, Nidava, and Chova. Tefillah should primarily reflect one's aspiration to come closer to Hashem, an expression of the recognition of his existence as a servant of Hashem. And if one has sinned, tefillah becomes an avenue through which he can amend the tainted relationship. And finally, tefillah, just like the Karbanot of the Mishkan, involve much more than just the fulfillment of a personal obligation. Tzvilah, like Karbanot, should not be seen as a burden, but rather as a very special privilege and opportunity to establish an even closer relationship with Hashem on a daily basis. Tomorrow, we will continue with the second category of Parshat Vayikra, discussing the Karbanot Chova, the obligatory offerings that must be brought by a person should one transgress one of God's laws. Therefore, the sections are going to be organized by events or the types of sins committed that will determine which offering is required.